0: I'm a newbie, right? If if you do not know how to dissect a PNL, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know how to look for the value ads, right? So I think it's very important for any newbies to know how to read the PNL very well. Even Robert Kiyosaki said, right, you have to look at the PNL. You have to be a master how to read PNL to know the story about the property.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Today, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, it is 2018. It's going to be a huge year, and I'm so glad all my loyal listeners have tuned in so that you can learn from my incredible guests, and hopefully these guests inspire you to go out and take massive amounts of action. As you know, there's absolutely no BS on this show. We get straight into the nuts and bolts. And if you do like this show, you can please give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to readgoosens.com and click on the video link and it'll take you straight to the recordings of these podcasts each and every week. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the beautiful faces of my guests. So today in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with James Kundasami. And James is the founder of Achieve Investment Group, which is an award-winning multifamily syndication company based in Austin, Texas. Since 2015, James has acquired three large apartment communities totaling over 340 units in central Texas. He runs the company with his, his, his wife and himself. They rehab, they manage, and they acquire all of this stuff in-house. And I failed to mention that he also did his MBA in sunny Adelaide in Australia, so we have a lot of common common ground in there, but enough out of me I'm excited to have him on the show James, welcome to the show how are you doing today
0: mate hey I'm doing very well thanks for having me you know happy to be talking to you and your audience right,
1: mate it's, it's great to have you on the show i'm i've been it's, we've been co- communicating for some time now being that you're originally you've got a bit of time spent in australia but um my first question I always ask my my guests is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar.
0: So, my first ever dollar was, uh, I mean, before I started working, while I even, when I was studying, I was always trying to be, you know, in business, trying to do something to sell to others. And I was writing some of the physics book and trying to sell to my peers and uh, during my summer, uh, summer holidays. So, And, you know, while working, I was always trying out different jobs. Whenever there's a break, I always do, you know, some jobs, you know, just to make money. Right. So and after working, I got a degree in electrical engineering and I also did an MBA in the University of South uh, Adelaide in in Australia. So um, I become an engineer and uh, been doing engineering for 20 years and right now doing real estate. And that's where I am right now in real estate. Fantastic.
1: Well, most of the people I get on my show, uh, you know, we want to know more about you, the man behind the success, right? So, to walk us through how you made yeah. your transition here to the United States uh, and where did you come from originally, may, may I ask?
0: So, I came from Malaysia. So, uh, I, I, so I started there as an engineer and uh, worked there almost fifteen, sixteen years. I think fifteen years, and then I moved to. The United States, within the same company, you know, they needed some help over here. And I also want to come here too as well to, to explore the opportunities in the U.S. Uh, but I came to the company and um, came here and solved the problem that they had over here in one of the department. And after that, moved to another semiconductor company. And, um, you know, that's how I came from Malaysia to the United States
1: right right and tell me a little bit more about how you you studied your mba in Adelaide, as they love to call it in south australia what okay. why, why 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 south australia
0: well they had a really good program over there i like i like the program structure over there and uh, australia is so nearby right and uh, mm-hmm. you know we were able to get uh, get into the program we really liked the program and continued over there graduated over there and you know moved back to malaysia so fantastic and how long ago was that were you and aussie that was probably um maybe 10 years ago maybe wow Wow! <laughs> yeah wow. you've you've traveled all over the world mate
1: it's it's, it's incredible We malaysia australia and now here in the united states and yes. were you always based in texas when you first moved here
0: no i moved to oregon first i was in okay. Portland, oregon and from oregon went back to malaysia and came back to austin within the same wow. company so Yeah, they needed some help in in Austin and that's where, you know, I came in and stayed on in Austin and I love it here in Texas.
1: Yeah, fantastic, (laughs) fantastic. Well, and so what inspired you to get involved in real estate investing? Obviously, you had a fantastic, you've got a fantastic, did have a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And now, what was was the yearning desire inside you to, to take that next step and start, you know, essentially becoming an entrepreneur?
0: Well, I mean, I always look for something to do other than my business. And while working in engineering, I was trying to do you know, all sorts of business. And one of the business I really tried was trying to do an online education program. And me and my wife used to work every night. Every night we spent like two or three hours trying to do, build this program. And we had developers in India and we were trying to do syllabus and we were hoping to do this you know, math practice. Business a success, and every time I do that, I realize that it's not going to be successful. So there's always some company out there doing it much better than me, putting in a lot more capital compared to you know me and my wife trying to do from mm-hmm. home, right? So, so there was I know it's not going to work, and um, I was always exploring this rental business, and um, and when I did rental business, I mean if you just buy a normal house and just do amortization and just pay down your loan. And if you rent out, you minus off the expenses, you minimum, you'll get 9% return, which is a really good return, right? Right. But I think uh, what triggered me was uh, when one day when my boss came and talked to me and told me that, uh, James, you have to work for another 16 years. I say, why? Oh, because you have three kids and all of them have to go to college. And I didn't realize how expensive college is in the US until <laughs> I until that discussion. In in Malaysia, I'm sure even in Australia, it's not that expensive, right? With 5,000 US dollars, you'll finish a a full four-year engineering degree. Wow. So, I mean, that was in Malaysia, right? So, it was really cheap and we really don't really look at, we don't really save up money for education for the kids because it's not that expensive, right? Uh, We'll figure out something. But in the US, it's like, you need like 200,000, 300,000 and I was... I got an aha moment there, and I said, "Wow, I need to go and figure out something. I need to do something different from my job if I want to fund the education." Right? I mean, I mean, they may get scholarships and all that, but you can't really, you can't really rely on that, right? So, right. so I was looking at you know real estate, and uh, I I I joined a group, a mentoring group where we started with single family houses. We bought like thirteen houses. Uh, actually, we bought uh, we bought thirteen houses. Two of it was flipped. Eleven was rental. After we do that two flip, we promise not to do any more flips. <laughs> so, out of that eleven houses, uh, you know, we got uh, we we did something called double closing, where you mm-hmm. take uh, one property and put it into hard money lending, and you refinance it into a, a conventional uh, Fannie Mae lending, which basically reduces your cash out of pocket. Um, so because of that strategy, you know, the last six houses out of eleven houses, the first five we we did put out some money, maybe like six thousand per door, But the last six houses uh were almost zero cash out of pocket just because of strategy. Then I realized, wow, if you could do this strategy all the time, you can keep on building real estate and building your net worth, right, continuously, right? And um and start, later start moving on to commercial real estate on apartments and try to do the same strategy again.
1: Wow, fantastic.
0: Yeah. So once coming to multifamily, I see it's much bigger money. You know, we, we know we have like huge equity. We have almost like $400,000 of equity in single family and we refinanced all our houses, what, three, four times to just take out cash and keep on buying. So it's a good strategy if you want to build single family, but Single family is so much of work. I mean, I mean <laughs> taxes, yeah, you pay at the end of the year, but insurance, if you see insurance, like it falls in every month and you have to like struggle to renew the insurance policies and mm-hmm. tenant management. It's so much of work and we know we have to get it to multifamily soon, right? Right, so, right, right, right. So that's where we start looking at multifamily and, and we, we know this buy reposition uh, refinance and rent strategy works even in single Mm -hmm. family and also multifamily. So much so in multifamily is much more easier for it to work because you can force appreciate the property value by putting in, you know, your own hard work, right? So that's the power of multifamily and we have been doing very well in it.
1: Well, mate, you've got, I've got so many questions to ask you because you have got, such an incredible experience, an array of experience to come in, go through the single families, do some flipping, uh, realize the power of building that equity up, building that nest egg and then applying the same philosophy to commercial real estate. I think that's really powerful mm-hmm. and also having the the where for all, you know, it sounds like you and your wife are an absolute hustlers because you're, yeah. you're doing that the online course and it didn't work and then, you, you know, trying different things. And I think that's it's a real uh, nod of the hat or a tip to the hat to you because it shows you just how or it shows the listeners just how hard you have to work at different yes. things before you find your niche or what you're really good at or what you're passionate about. And, and, you know, all that good stuff about creating businesses, but real estate is a business in itself and understanding the ins and outs of it. so. You've you've gone through the journey of of, of learning the, the the nuts and bolts of the business of, of flipping of, of buying houses. Mm-hmm. How did you go about buying that first multifamily property?
0: So the first multifamily property, I mean, I have to trace back to my single family uh, roots as well because the way I was able to get houses so cheap, uh, I mean, to do this double closing strategy, you have to get houses at a good, you know below certain percentage of after repair value. So I mm-hmm. think in San Antonio where I used to buy, if you if you buy below sixty six percent ARV, which is after repair value, you almost get zero out of pocket if you do a double closing between hard money lender and seventy five percent normal thirty year amortization. So so we tried so the way we've able to find all these houses is through our you know marketing effort. We market direct to sellers. I mean, you can't go and buy from uh, agents or from MLS, and you'll get all the normal deals, right? So, mm-hmm. so to be different, you have to do different stuff, right? To make really good money, to make, to you have to be a, a thinking out of box. So. What we did is we start uh, marketing direct to house owners, absentee owners out of state, and we, we tried to do all things and we learned through different different podcasts and you know, bigger pockets we learned a lot of things from there on how to market direct to sellers and buy the houses uh, really, at really really good prices so so we took that methodology we use in single family and moved that on to multifamily so I know at multifamily it's not easy to start Everybody's everybody's crazy about multifamily everybody want to get a deal right. but you know, for newbies, it's so hard to get started, right? I mean, um, mm-hmm. who's going to talk to you, right? You are a newbie and mm-hmm. the inventory is so low. And this is, you're talking about multi-million dollar properties, right? Which broker is going to risk their commission to give it to a newbie who may not close, right? So so after looking for two, three months, I I mean, I talked to one broker. You can see from their voice on the phone, they are li- they are listening to you, but they're not really listening to you because <laughs> they know they don't want to waste their time. <laughs> so, So I said, okay, let me try i marketing direct to sellers in multifamily so that's where we started our our marketing campaign our letter campaign our phone you know cold calling and texting as well so we use uh, we use text blasters to do that and we did that for like almost two or three months continuously and finally i got a i got some seller who said hey why not let's talk about this i have a property that one of my friend which i'm a partner is he want to sell you know let's talk to that and when i talk... So that's where I was able to talk to the agent in that small uh, who 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 uh, who works for this uh, owner who owns the 45 units, and uh, it was a very weird conversation. The first phone call between three of us me, the agent, and the owner. And the owner was like, "Why am I talking to you? I want to sell, but you know, I really don't want to sell. I don't know why I want to talk to you. Somebody who I do not, not know, right? So that's where your empathy comes in. That's where your communication skills comes in. You know how you talk to them and. They need to sell, they're under a lot of stress because the property management companies are not doing a good job and they do not know what to do with it. And they're not really in multi-family space, they are in land development space. So they're big, mm-hmm. big they are big brokers in land development. So these are not mom and pop trying to sell the house. They are big guys, but their niche is different. So they say they love the land because you know, there's no tenants on top of it. You don't have to track the expenses. You don't have to track the income. You just buy, it. they appreciate, it and they sell, right? Mm-hmm. So they love that, and they just want to get out from multifamily. So they get, they let me give, uh, give it a shot to buy this first 45 units multifamily. It was a really good experience because first time you're doing it, you're looking at PNL because, you know, they're gonna send you raw PNL, right? When you talk direct to sellers, you know, they don't have this beautiful operating memorandum. Um, is it called operating it's called offering yep. memorandum right offering, so yep, yep. they don't have this beautiful there's no uh, brokers there's no selling in between so they just I just say give me the plan and first time I look at it how do I read this right so it took me almost a week to really digest the PNL. it took me a week to look at the rent roll and look at the the uh, growth the the value add on the project and try to understand it very well before I said okay this looks like a, a good deal and and I got that deal almost at 35 a dollar, uh, if I remember correctly. Wow! And yeah, it well, when I first analyzed it, I'm a newbie, right? I, if I, if you do not know how to dissect a PNL, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know how to look for the value ads, right? So I think it's very important for any newbies to know how to read the PNL very well. Even Robert Kiyosaki said, right? You have to look at the PL, You have to be a master how to read PNL to know the story right. about the property. So once I do that, I'm able to see the value and now I can see 35 a door was, was a really good price because I know at that time in San Antonio, everybody was buying at 50, 55 a door, mm-hmm. and they were doing deals fine. Everybody was fine, everybody was happy. And I was thinking why this 35 you know, per dollar deal did not work until I realized that I'm doing all the mistakes in my p studies. So And, and so what, yeah. what type
1: of mistakes were you identifying or what, when, you, when you first sat there for that, that week, how did you know mm-hmm. what mistakes to look for? And I guess did you train yourself, well, or did someone teach you?
0: Well, I says, uh, well, I mean, I had a, I had a mentor to tell me what to look for, right? But he was not there to look at this PNL. But, I mean, you have to look at detailed expense report on what are they including, right? Are they including cap, capex into it or not? So, mm-hmm. after three, four days looking digging deep, and then I realized, okay, they're including all the capex as, as an expense, which is right. not what we do and how we look for NOI, right? So. Mm-hmm. Then I have to export into an Excel. I have to pull that out from the normal operating expense and just keep the operating expense, keep the income. And now I can see the, the NOI, the true NOI that's going to give a value to the property. Mm-hmm. That's where then I start getting an, a lender to underwrite it. I mean, since it's off market, nobody's behind me, right? Nobody's really pushing me and all that. And, and uh, I had all the time in the world to really underwrite it well then the lender told me yeah this is a good deal you should do it so that's <laughs> it. so now okay me and him agree and we're able to say yeah let's go and do it right so so did you get what type of financing did you get on the property
1: uh out of the gate because at 35k a door obviously it had some some, some major upside mm-hmm. so did you go to a local community bank or did you go to a Freddie and fanny yeah uh, because i debt? know
0: so when i did the underwriting i know there's a lot of upside in the deal and I always want to reposition the property and refinance the money out of whatever we invested because that's the best strategy, I would say, right? Once you take out your everybody's money out, your risk is almost less, right? You don't have any money in the deal. Your IRR shoots up. You can take that money and go invest somewhere else. So so what I said is I'm not going to do an agency loan. I'm going to do a, 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 a what you call a small bank loan. Mm-hmm. So I think I believe I got like four point two five percent for wow. three years fixed, one year of IO eighty percent loan. So wow. so I know eighty percent loan to I cost go, or loan to value. Uh, loan to cost. Wow. Yeah, they. Fantastic. I mean, most companies give you eighty percent loan to cost. Yeah, they don't give you loan to value because that'll be too much. Because we were fifty. We we the property appraised fifty percent more. From the money we put in, so day one itself, we already got fifty percent additional money. so if you have mm-hmm. invested one hundred thousand day one on your closing, your hundred thousand becomes one hundred fifty thousand of course on paper so but it's it's a huge uh, it's a huge addition to your net worth and, and your confidence as well right so so I believe we put in one point five uh, uh, no I think the loan was one point five we pointed thirty thousand down. And we were able to get the deal done. And from 35 a door in 12 months, we worked really hard. This was the first deal. Me and my wife was like, you know, first three months, you know, the, the occupancy always drops. Every property we buy in general, because we're buying a value at deals, it drops, right? So from <laughs> 90, we were, we were 90 it dropped to like 70 something the first wow. two months. And we were like, wow, let's, because we are like putting in a lot of policies in, in the place. Uh, we run our property manager. We try to, it's, a, it's called training the tenant, right? Once you train the tenant, some tenants can't take it. They just leave. So that's okay. The bad one, let them go first. So so we were rehabbing. We were turning around the properties. It went down to 77 in two months and start picking back up. In another two more months, we're back at 90. Once we start finishing like five to six units. So within 12 months, uh, we bought it at 35 a door. In 12 months, uh, the property was appraised at 58 a door. So it went from um, 1.5 million to 2.8 million in 12 months. That's great. That's yeah. great. And
1: so did you, have, did you get investors involved in that or did yeah. you just do the money out of, your, out of your own pocket?
0: No, we had like five investors out of that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we had like five investors who, you know, been the involved. passive investor with me. But me and my wife was running the show. Fantastic, and yeah. so mm-hmm. tell—that's
1: back in 2015. That's your first right. ever deal. What yeah. are you doing today to find mm-hmm. deals? Obviously, the deals like that where you pick them up for thirty-five thousand dollars a door, and twelve months later, you've doubled your investors' money. Mm-hmm. Those types of deals aren't as prevalent. So, are mm-hmm. you looking harder? Are you looking in more different markets. Has your has your your finding strategy changed at all? What are you doing to keep ahead of the game and make sure you're buying a great deal? Yep. So.
0: I think for the for the newbies, you have to work hard and you have to find, you know, you have to find ways to think out of the box to get the first deals done. So my first two deals I did using the same method and one was forty-five and the other one was hundred and seventy-four. Both came at great prices. But I'm also realizing it's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. To to do the yellow ladder marketing and it's it's really a lot of work. So but as you grow up on your number of units, you know, you want to go 200, 300 units. Now, now um, you know, I do not know whether yellow letter marks, well, I start doing it. I mean, it works. I mean, they do. Have, there are people calling it, but I can't get it to closing. So I start um, networking with brokers right now with the two deals on my, under my belt, brokers have a lot more respect to me, right? With me, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know this guy has closed. He owns the property in the local market. So they have a lot more, I have a lot more credibility. So now, It's much easier for brokers to bring the deals to me. So, um, so but now primarily using networking brokers because yeah they are going to come and give you a lot of deals, right? And you have to keep on underwriting deals to find the value inside any each of these deals. I don't think so. Most of any of the deals is going to be just like give it to you and you're going to get a good deal. You have to look for value. You have to look at two years down the road. What is the value that you can create? Uh, the deals where you get just cheap is no more available and it's, it's not going to be available from brokers because brokers are the branch that's going to neutralize that sometimes sellers want to sell cheap, but because of brokers are there and brokers need to pitch their position mm-hmm. to the seller saying that I can give you a good deal, give the listing to me. They're going to jump up, they're going to bump up the price and the price is going to come to a certain level where the market is right now, right? right. So, yeah. So, so broker deals are not going to be the cheapest deal. Most of the time, it's going to be very, very hard to find a really, really cheap deal. But you can find deals with good value add. And if you know how to look for value and if you're able to, if you're a master value adder, you know you know how to rehab and you know how to fix property management, you can go down and take down that kind of projects. And you know that's where I think the value comes in. And that's where you can find good deals.
1: Right. So talk to me about, and I love, just before we get off that topic, I love mm-hmm. the fact that how you become, become so creative mm-hmm. in the way that you went from, you know, yellow letters and marketing directly to sellers mm-hmm. to now building your network out of or, or brokers and, and mm-hmm. people who are, who are wanting to give you deals because you've you performed. And I think for everyone listening out there, mm-hmm. it's so important as a newbie investor to show that you can perform, right? And that once you've got a skin on the, on the wall, they're going to keep coming back to you again and again.
0: Right. They need so, a closer.
1: Right. They do need to close it. So you, you mentioned that brokers are sort of now the bottleneck of where to get great deals from. So are you, have you completely stopped your yellow letters uh, in finding those cracking deals or are you still doing that a little bit?
0: Well, right now I've completely stopped. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's, it takes a lot of time and I, I I think I get a lot more traffic from brokers right now and I'm, I'm a bit comfortable with the traffic that's coming in and I can choose one and and still do it. And and I still look for really, really good deals, even if it comes from brokers. So I'm not just not going to buy whatever they're going to give me, right? So, and they know that we are experienced indicators. So when they come to us, they know what to, what to expect from us. But we also can give them feedback very quickly, right? So they're happy with that. So, so the, the volume of people giving deals become higher because the brokers are involved right now and they are able to feed it to you. And you have the opportunity to choose on which deal to come. Although I would say you probably, if I go back to my yellow letter and and, uh, and uh, tax blaster phone, I think you can still find a deal. It's probably because you uh, know I'm just no more doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you can still find a deal. You can find one guy, but it might take like one year. You know, right. one great deal. So, it, and
1: it takes a period of time to you know put that mindset and that energy and the effort into doing that sort of strategy in order to reap reap rewards, right? Um, yeah. So talk yep. to me about right. that, that with all, in this market of compressed cap rates and all that sort of stuff, how are you looking for that value? What are specific things that advice you can give to newbie guys out there listening to this show thinking, okay, I want to take down a deal, but there's compressed cap rates and everyone talks about entry cap rates and exit cap rates. And where can I be smart when I look at that P&L?
0: So I don't look at entry cap rate at all because a lot of times a property management company are not managing the property to the maximum potential. So since mm-hmm. we have our own property management company and, and we have done huge rehab, right? The second deal, we did like $1.5 million rehab. We won the San Antonio Property of the Year Award for Best Rehab, you know, beating all these big company like Greystone, Capstone and all that. So we know the rehab pretty well. Um, so we're able to look at we're able to do rehabs much more efficiently um, mm-hmm. and that's one option. The other option is to look at the property management aspect of it and see where are they not doing very well and see how you can go and fix it and you're not going to see it at the entry cap rate because entry cap rate is how the current guys are running the show, right the current right. sellers are running it. they have, they may have a good property management company, but most of the time they're not that good so so since we have our own property management company, we know the best known methods on how to you know uh, milk out. The efficiency from the operation, mm-hmm. we can project like when we take over, you know, how much um, cap rate improvement that we're going to do, how much NOI we're going to increase. So we look at it that way. We look at it one to two years down road. How, what are the values that I can add in, right? Through rehab, to increase rent, or to reduce expenses, or through some creative finance, you can do a lot of kind of things of value add. And that's where we try to go for that kind of deal where we can put in our own. Um, uh, creative thinking to uh, improve the NOI. Mm-hmm. The so when you do
1: look at that P&L, is mm-hmm. there an example you can give to our listeners to say, okay, if they're bloated on a specific line item that you know, just for example, that you see it, it's a common thread through these properties because of poor management. So is there any mm-hmm. examples that you can give?
0: Well, one of our, one of it is of course the rubs. I mean, rubs, I'm not talking about just, you know, re- reallocating to water or reallocating the like pretty do that, right? but if you look at the percentage i mean there is a certain max you can do you can do like 95% on a non irrigation type of apartment right so but if you look at the property management they are probably collecting 70% so that's mm-hmm. one way you have to figure out why are they not collecting high enough right because that's like 20% ROPs collection that can improve your bottom line by like you know one or two percent right in in the mm-hmm. rps section so that's one thing. I mean, rehab, of course, you can rehab it, you know, reduce your loss to lease. You can do that. That's pretty standard, right? You can rehab, you improve the rent. Um, so rubs is one thing. You can look at their marketing budget. A lot of this property management company, they go and advertise in apartments.com, for rent.com, Zillow, Hot you know, every one of that advertisement costs you like five hundred dollars. So their marketing budget is like, like three thousand dollars, right? So But when we run ours, we look at the best two guys or best one guy and we just advertise in them because most of the time the renters are going to look at one website, Mm -hmm. but they have this, you know, they have this package deal that they do with all these companies and they do, they just give it to them. And, you know, it's a lot of inefficiencies in terms of marketing, right? Um, And, you know, you can always use your own property manager to advertise in Craigslist, and, you know, be a good uh, marketer itself to make sure that occupancy is up. So marketing is, I've always seen is pretty high uh, contract services. You have to go and renegotiate all the contracts that you put yep. in because I, I bet you when you renegotiate, you're going to get much better terms. A lot of property management company does not negotiate their contracts. Once they put in, they just forget about it because they are big companies, right? They have regionals mm-hmm. who's managing like nine to 10 and regionals are the one who are a bit more smarter guys in that in that group. How can they look at PNL. Uh, whereas the property managers are just going to be the people who are working on the uh, property, right? And if you look at property management compensation, right, it's a flawed model. When I say flawed model is we as investors, we care about NOI and NOI Mm -hmm. is income and expenses. But property management are paid only on income, (laughs) right? So it's a flawed model. They don't care about expenses. So they do very well in income because they're going to get, you know, 3% or 4% out of it, But they don't really care about the income, but we really care about it, right? So... As an as an investor, owner, manage, we are going to care about both, but they are going to care just about the income. So, so if you look at a lot of expense ratio, a lot of it's like pretty high or wasted, and you can really get two or three percent cash and cash out of uh, any investment if you go and be more efficient in that, right? Squeeze, so
1: squeeze squeeze the the, the the gears, as they say. Like exactly. Squeeze the juice out of it. Yeah, exactly. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So and, so with with all those sort of negotiating tactics, mm-hmm. um. Typically, what are you seeing as an ex- a rule of thumb for mm-hmm. those people out there analyzing uh, taking mm-hmm. notes <laughs> when you can take over a property and then once you get it stabilized what's your approximate ratio of expense to income
0: I've seen time and time the most efficient and you know, for two hundred and units and a below uh I think if you come down to 45, 60 units and below, your ratio, most efficient operation would be almost at 55, 56%. And once you go above 100 to 200, your most efficient ratio will be almost at 50%. And when you go above 200 to 300, your most efficient ratio would be like 48 to 49% of expense ratio. So that'll be your most uh, optimal operation, right? And um, I'm sure you can do better than that. It's just whenever I write my underperformer, that's what I'm seeing. Most efficient operation with with our own staff running the show, with our own uh, insurance. You know, uh, with our own. Con- uh, I mean, we negotiated the contracts. We are doing rubs. You know, you, I think 50 percent would be a good uh, benchmark. Uh, a good benchmark. For 200 yeah. to 300. Yeah. And yeah. I think so. so if you're that, running at like 55, you're, you're a bit more. Right. And, and I think that I'm range saying, of mm-hmm. of 50
1: to 60%, you know, good rule of thumb, 55%, particularly if you're mm-hmm. looking for a stabilized product. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it goes back to, I love what your, your point you said before, which was looking at the ingoing cap rates and so many investors look at those ingoing cap rates and think, oh gosh, I can't, I can't, I don't like, look, it's too low or, or whatever. It's just like, If you don't understand the fact that that particular asset manager or property manager are running it so inefficiently, Mm -hmm. the cap rate is related to NOI. Now, if the NOI is low, then the cap rate's low, right? Correct. It doesn't mean that you can't get the cap rate up to, you know, a six or six and a half by year two or year three. So personally, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how you feel about this, I look at the ingoing cap rate and that's all well and good, but then I look at the stabilized cap rate after two years, and see what that is and that is really more more of a litmus test to say okay this is where what the property really could be performing at in two years time would you agree with that absolutely statement?
0: absolutely it's not yeah I, I i definitely look at that because the improvement from the current cap rate when you're buying it and to the two years performance stabilize is what your value that you're creating that's the upside so right. to give an example i was looking at a deal yesterday and i was buying uh, you know it was a deal that we can buy at six point eight percent cap rate, sorry six point four percent cap rate that 's how they are running it in T12. It's, a, it's a super efficient uh, operation when I look at the PNL, l they're really. really efficient. Mm-hmm. but when we take over on day one with our expenses it's going to be seven point four percent cap rate and when I take the current NO the new NOI on day one after we take over, you know divide with the day zero cap rate, mm-hmm. you get you get um a value increase of almost $1 million. Wow. So, just, just because of your operation, right? So, so how, how are you, how are you two becoming... Two years, what are you going to be getting? <laughs> right.
1: right. So how are you becoming so much more efficient than these other guys out there? Is it because you have in-house property management and you can afford to be more efficient?
0: Well... Well, they could be, I mean, uh, they could be using third-party property management. They have uh, staff's uh, costs, right? And sometimes the staff, if you want to run a property management company, you can pay them. You can pay a lot of benefits and perks, right? And all that Mm -hmm. adds up, right? Uh, So we we have our own uh, staff. We give good benefits to our staff as well. But it's all still much better than a lot of companies giving uh, out there. It's just much more... um, efficient, aligns to their performance. We'd like to give bonuses instead of getting them super high pay and super high benefits. And, you know, all that is not going to help you in the bonus. And and they're happy. They get a lot of uh, off days and all that. So our staff uh, cost is much cheaper. And, hmm. and uh, keep in mind, when I talk about 50% and, uh, you know, when we run it, I'm talking about taxes, the property taxes to be at pro forma level. So I'm assuming right. like 100% tax. Right, uh, and that's where you need to look at fifty percent expense ratio. If you take the pro forma tax and your your own expense ratio, you should be getting total fifty percent expense ratio.
1: Oh, I completely agree. And I think the big thing about just chatting with you is just getting familiar and getting comfortable with diving into the P&L. Yeah. And I guess for all those people out there who are listening and just understanding that the ingoing cap rate, is it's a litmus test, but it's not the be all to end all. And I think there's a lot of investors out there personally that I've dealt with look at like oh the ingoing cap rates at five percent it's like yeah but in two years time we're going to get it to over a six and six six point five like that's mm-hmm. what you will need to be looking at uh where, where they, they don't necessarily see it like that and so it's about as a syndicator it's about educating them on that process of where the value is and how you can become and go and turn those knobs on, on that big machine to make it more efficient right
0: yes yes correct i think one of the big problems that we see in a lot of multi-family education is a lot of people are learning to be asset asset managers but they're forgetting the aspect of property managers, property management, mm-hmm. right? So, to find efficiencies in PNL or inefficiencies in PNL, you have to know the property management aspects of it. So, when I look at a PNL, I can tell whether this operation is efficient or wastage or not, right? But if you're just learning the asset management side of it, if you're just you know learning the raising money, doing syndication, that is that is the easy part. Nowadays, it's easy to find money. There's a lot of capital chasing for that small number of deals. And if you know how to analyze your deals very well, that small number, you can find germ, gems in that small number of deals. You can find deals, really good deals in that small number of deals. But you have to learn the property management aspect. You have to learn each line item. And and because a lot of people are just being taught asset management and everybody's taught to learn that, just give it to that third, third party guys and go on. I mean, as I said, market is very strong right now. People are not worried about property management, but, when the market goes down, property management becomes very critical and they are going to be like scrambling and you can see whether how strong is the property management or how efficient is the property management companies, right? So, so that's an important skills. I think everybody have to learn and how to underwrite each of the expense item. You may not do the property management, but I think you have to know how to underwrite each expense item and Every time property management companies send you a PL and a budget, you can question them why is this, why is that, right? I mean, if you do not know, you're just gonna be saying yeah, I'm happy and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna give returns. I mean, as I said, markets booming right now, you can get returns. But when the market turns, you know, then that's where you know you'll be like completely out of control. It's everything on property management. And that's gonna be a really right. bad asset manager.
1: <laughs> so so what what are you doing from an underwriting point of view, given the fact that Say you don't have your your in-house property management, right? As an underwriter, what would you typically underwrite in San Antonio or in the in the the, the state, or the, the the markets that you're in? Uh, uh, an average price per door for expenses on a stabilized mm-hmm. asset. What it, you know? Say if say it's a hundred units or
0: more. So. Uh price per door is it it varies, right? I mean you're talking about expense ratio or you're just talking Direct. about price oh, per door just, just, in general.
1: Just price per door in general of you know of the operating expenses on a stabilized asset, you know, is it yeah, is it depends half, on
0: know? yeah, it depends on the unit mix, right? So price mm-hmm. per door is a bit misleading because sometimes some property has a lot more two bedrooms, three bedrooms, and that price per door might be higher versus mm-hmm you know, 90% one bedroom and the price per door is lower. Does, I mean, so sometimes this price per door can confuse a lot of things. So I, I do talk price per door, but I don't use it as a guideline. So, but in general, if you have like 80 to 80, 75 to 80% one bedrooms, your price per door falls in like 4.8 per door. Uh, In terms of expense, and if you go like uh, slightly bigger, like, uh, you know, two two more, 50-50, two bedroom versus one Mm -hmm. bedroom, your price per door slightly goes up to like 5,000 something. But it's it's between that 4.8 to 5.1 range. I think it doesn't go above that. Uh, And all this I'm talking about is with the pro forma taxes. That means 100% of Mm -hmm. purchase price uh, assumed uh, property taxes. Multiply by your mill rate
1: for those yes. people out there. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um. And four point eight for all those people listening out there is thousand is 4. eight, 4, $4, $8 hundred dollars per unit per year correct. to, to fifty one hundred in that range that that mm-hmm. that James is seeing, and that's for like a class C asset, correct?
0: That's like a class C. Yeah. It. it you know, even class B would go into that level. Um. Uh, but I've not done a lot of class B plus, but I've done B to C. Yeah, that's what I see right now.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's great, great intel because it's a lot of people out there are always scratching their heads going, what is that? And, and it varies from market to market. So, so mm-hmm. if you're underwriting deals in San Antonio, it may differ from someone underwriting deals in North Carolina. So keep, keep that in mind when, when, you know, when people are listening out there and underwriting your deals. James, yep. any yep. advice you can give to those people who are just starting out like yourself? What's the number one piece of advice you know, to, to get your first deal done?
0: Uh, think differently. Everybody knows real estate is hot right now. Everybody knows multifamily is good. You're not alone. So you have to think differently to get started, right? So look for deals off market. There's a lot of sellers who are willing to sell off market. Change your mindset. A lot of people think that there's no more deals out there. And people say, I want to wait. When you wait, when the market turns, I can bet you there's going to be another barrier to entry is going to come, right? It's the same thing, right? Everybody's going to be scared. Right, Everybody thinks market's going to turn. Everything is going to say constant. Just the multifamily property will, prices will go down. That's not going to be true. The whole economy is going to collapse, right? Where everybody's scared. So you can't buy it at that point of time, right? So, right, right. so my advice is look for deals. I mean, I don't really like to go with market swings because that is uncertain, right? So I look for mm-hmm. deals with building upside. So any deals I look for, I know that there's a building upside that is not realized. I can put my sweat equity, I can put my expertise, my skills to to capture that upside and that is your equity capture, right? So when you do that, when you look for that kind of value add, uh, you know, deal with the building upside, you're not really worried whether the market going to turn or market going to be, you know, uh, going further or not. You're just going to get the benefit. Worst case market turn, you you still bought it at a good price with an upside. You get, you get, some upside, right? If market doesn't turn, you get, uh, you get the benefit of appreciation. Uh, right. But never buy deals which is sold at uh, market cap rate or market market rate because right. there's no value to add on top of it, right? I know, I know everybody want to get started. Right? Everybody want to do deals. We know that, right? But mm-hmm. work hard. Right.
1: Yeah, right. I, th- I, th- I think the biggest the biggest thing you're trying to say is look for that value. You know, there, ha- the there has to be there has to be something in there that the you know what our, our thesis right now is look for long term buyers that have 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 just you know maybe managed occupancy mm-hmm. but haven't really pushed the rent. You know, I can go in there and do 15 to 20 percent rental bumps over mm-hmm. 12 to 18 months there's the value, right? And I'm looking for a lot lot, lot of meat on the bone. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people look at entry cap rates versus exit cap rates, blah, 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 blah. It's about understanding where the value is through what you've just said, which is, you know, um, uh, the rents first and foremost, but also getting really efficient with your property management expenses um, and and understanding the property management side. I think that's really, really key. And and, and Mm -hmm. for all those people listening out there, I go back, rewind this because this is exactly the type of piece of advice that is going to make you successful in 2018. So, James, we're coming to the end of the show. I love to ask my uh, guests uh, to give me their top five investing tips. Ready to get into it?
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: All right, mate. What is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: Uh, daily practice. Uh, I mean, I have morning rituals where I meditate and I visualize and, of course, journaling. Uh, that's very important to clear your mind, I would say. Um, once I do that, of course, uh, you know, always look at deals, network with uh, brokers and network with even with passive investors, you always have to keep on looking for passive investors. Invest I think,
1: I, mate, uh, j- just putting the business to one side of it, I think that the getting your mindset right, the meditation, the journaling is so important. Uh, I, you, know, you, you're a very, you seem like a very high functioning type of guy. I'm a very high, t- high functioning type of guy as well. And I, I noticed a huge change in the way that I approach my work when I took 20 to 20 minutes to half an hour of a morning focused on some deep breathing exercises, focused on getting the the chatter out of my head and onto a piece of paper. Yes, what do I yes. need to do? Like you're always constantly talking, Absolutely. talking, talking, Absolutely. talking, and you've got to just take a moment to say, turn off the phone, turn off the internet, turn off everything and just breathe mm-hmm. and focus on the breathing. Get, get the, get the clutter out of your head onto a piece of paper and then be so much more relaxed mm-hmm. when you approach the day. And, there's so many people out there that you know I find even and personally because it's just the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is on the phone. The first thing they do is they're on their internet, exactly. they're, on, they're on their email, and you're going to burn yourself out. Take time to work yep. on yourself, and it's been so important, and it's really helped me with, towards my success over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's fantastic to hear that you're doing exactly the same thing. So, so everyone listening out Absolutely. there, take take notes and start meditating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I mean, I I realized this uh, compared to a lot of people who started same time with me. Uh, it's all about the mindset, right? And mm-hmm. and I'm also sometimes, you know, I, I say it about mindset, but sometimes I think, oh, there's no deals out there. But I try to train myself. No, no, there are deals out there. You have to go and look for it. So right. You have to, it's it's all about self-control. It's, it's a lot of it spiritual, right? It's, you, know, you actually mm-hmm. trying to realize your own potential in this world right and exactly. and and this is just a journey to it right so at the day when you are like 70 80 years old and you're going to see whether you really utilize all your potential as a human and mm-hmm. i believe that controlling your mindset towards achieving something and your real estate is just a tool right so right. so training your mindset i think is very important and and you have to believe there are deals out there absolutely <laughs>
1: <laughs> love it! I love it, man. You, you're you're exactly the type of guy I want to talk to because of mindset, you know, meditation, all that sort of stuff. Being yeah. focused on the fact that real estate is a tool to get you to financial freedom, and and at the end of the day, you want to be looking back on on your life and saying, did I did I live up to my potential? You know, yeah. so yeah. absolutely yeah. awesome stuff.
0: Yeah, I always think that. What kind of stories can I tell my grandkids? Right? Exactly. I mean, I don't want to buy an <laughs> I don't want buy an average deal, and average return, and I did this. I want to say. Yeah, I bought this deal. I turned and gave back 100 percent in 12 months, which I did two times. So,
1: right. so
0: that's like really, really something different where you can tell your grandkids, and you want to be right. happy when you die, right? So exactly, exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. So, mate, what has been? Who has been the most influential person in your career to date?
0: Um, that's uh, probably my wife. I mean, she has oh, really? been that's controlling right. my mind. <laughs> 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 yeah sometimes you know i also uh, think that hey there's no deals or we didn't do well she said no look at it you have done this much right so she's a good support uh and a pillar to me and to my success as well i mean we do it together but as i said mindset is important but she's she's really you know sometimes happy i mean she's you know there to caution me about my mindset as well so i think that's important Right.
1: What is the most influential tool in your business that you, you know, whether it be software or physical tool, you know, maybe um, uh, a mobile phone, what, what tool do you have to make you, your business successful?
0: I would say my um, Excel spreadsheet, of course. <laughs> so I build my own Excel spreadsheet which looks for value add and uh, I recently built a really good, Excel spreadsheet, which you, which, which you looks at two different mortgages because I like to refinance out and mm-hmm. continue keeping the property for long term. So I built a really good analyzing tool, uh, which I'm building a web tool as well. So once I put it into the web, you know anybody can use it. So it's basically a tool where you're able to look for value and you're able to look at what's the value going to be for 10 years when you halfway refinance out your some of the cash. Because right now, mm-hmm it's it's difficult to do with just a normal Excel spreadsheet. You have to use multiple Excel spreadsheets and combine it. And it helps me to analyze my deals very quickly, especially right. value add deals.
1: Great. And it's great that you created a, a digital asset for your business in which mm-hmm. you can go in there and quickly punch out a good, you know, and un- underwrite the deal and understand mm-hmm. within a matter of hopefully seconds or minutes that you yep. do you have a good deal or not. So it's yeah. all about time management, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not really minutes. I mean, Usually when I underwrite, I almost take like a a one hour because I really want to look for details in the Mm -hmm. deal. I mean, at least some, once I look at some deals and I'm not looking at hundreds hundred of deals So a lot of deals, we just doesn't, I don't even look at it. But once they say value add and I know some, some really good value add, I start going a bit more detail into it. So it almost takes like an hour per per deal. Right, right. (laughs) What is, uh, what's been
1: the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure?
0: Oh, I think a lot of failures we learn in single family, so that's why sometimes I feel we really hit it well with a single family because that's where we learn, you know, how to manage tenants, right? How mm-hmm. to manage contractors because we were doing major rehabs. Uh, we were buying and repositioning, so the rehab can be like twenty, thirty thousand dollar rehab uh, in three months. You know, you know. San Antonio was only like hundred thousand dollar per house at that point of time, right? So. So we were doing major rehab, and we learned a lot on how to manage tenants, how to manage uh, contractors. We had contractors running away. We had, you know, tenants, uh, you know, skipping, you know, and and all all kind of lease issues. So, so there's no really big failures, but I think all that is just learnings. I mean, mm-hmm. but all of it were done as part of the single family. I mean, in multifamily, we, are, we, we have learned a lot from single family and we are implementing it on multifamily right now. Fantastic, fantastic. Mate, where can
1: people reach you to continue the conversation if you've given us some incredible pieces of, of information, golden nuggets, as I like to say, but where, if people want to reach out to, to continue the conversation, ask you more
0: questions about your underwriting, what you do in your journey, where can they go? Sure. So they can go to Achieve Investment Group, my website, and my email is james at Achieve Investment Group. Achieve as in achieving a goal, A-C-H-I-E-V-E. Achieve Investment Group. Fantastic. Well, James, thank you for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your
1: week and we'll catch up soon. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Ray. My pleasure. I just want to quickly wrap up, uh, you know, summarize some of the great nuggets that I learned from today's uh, conversation with James. And some of the big takeaways were, you know, not, not getting so concerned with low cap rates going in un, and, and understanding where the value is. And I think diving into the weeds of property management uh, as a whole and where you can save uh, expenses um, or line items expense uh, once you, you become your own property manager. And and, and I think one of the, the key bits that James was talking about is that Property management as a as a third party is a flawed tool because they base their income, uh, base their profit on their on the income of the property, not necessarily the the expenses that they save. So learn a, a fantastic amount from James. Uh, if you do want any of the show notes from today's show, please jump on my website at readgoosens.com, and you'll be all the links will be up there that we discussed. Uh, and as I said, just click on the podcast link. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show to continue to grow your financial IQ. And we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.